On behalf of the Glick family, I would like to welcome you here. Thank you for coming. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for uh, releasing Elmer from um, the earthly tent and tabernacle that you have given him and taking him home to be with you for his uh, eternal dwelling in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for um, preparing a place for him and for all who call upon your name. And it's through your name that we, uh, in your name that we gather here this morning. We wish to honor and, and reverence you today and uh, praise you for all that you have provided for us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now we're here to uh, pay our final respect to a man that we knew and loved. I'd like to start off with good news and bad news. Um, the bad news is that Elmer and I had something in common, and I'm a sinner. The Bible teaches us that we are all sinners, and we all fall short of God's glory. The good news is that Elmer understood this and placed his trust in the one true God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The good news is that God gave his son his only son, he gave him up to a cruel death, the one that I deserved, so that I can be free from sin and have everlasting life. Elmer understood this, and he understood that he was a sinner, and in faith he believed Jesus to be the payment and penalty for his sin. And by faith in Jesus, we receive true, true life, abundant life, eternal life. And we're especially grateful for that today. Because Jesus had done so much for him, Elmer wanted to serve others, and he did that in many ways. So today we remember and we celebrate the life of Elmer. But more importantly, we celebrate Jesus Christ. The one we are celebrating here this morning is Jesus, our Messiah. Psalm 116 tells us, of the distress that we are in and urges us to call on the Lord to receive the gift of salvation and then offer ourselves as servants to God and praise his name. So I want to read Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious 
In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. We're all grateful for what Christ has provided through us, and in our distress, we call upon him. At this time, we're going to have uh, several congregational songs, and then following that, uh, Brother Nelson Koblenz, who uh, Elmer and Nelson served uh, on Gospel Express for many years together. Uh, Nelson will come and bring a message for us. So, Lavelle, if you'll lead us in songs, and then Nelson, you'll be on. Please take your hymn books and turn to number 991. There's a land that's fairer than day. 991.
I greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you and me, and that is where our beloved friend. In the Old Testament, people would die and there was a place called paradise. But in the New Testament, in the New Dispensation, it's changed. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be absolutely present, right in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dad, Elmer, friend, I'll share a little more about later, but number one, the goal today is to please Jesus. This was Elmer's request to me to be here, and the family honored that request but my desire is that Jesus Christ, when we're finished, he's like, that's, that's good, well done. That's all that matters is the applause of heaven, that Jesus is pleased with what happens here today. I thought of his homesickness, and we just, wife and I flew in, and uh, I think she's already praying about flying out because we had the most turbulent trip we've ever had. <laughs> uh, there were screams, and there were... I know I kind of like said, Lord, am I coming home? Because we left our seats momentarily. And um, I remember a pilot one time saying that these airplanes are built for what they're going to experience for turbulence. So don't worry. They can handle more than you can. Do you know that you and I are created by God? For the turbulence of life, the things that happen, sorrow and grief and pain, God created us. The joys, the laughter, the disappointments, he created us that by his grace we can walk through those things. He made us that way. And he created us that one day we come and we be with him. And with airplane, I remember, I don't know, it was in July or whatever, I was heading out for Africa. And I was talking to Elmer on the phone and and I said, one day, Elmer, you can go with me over there. You know, I hope maybe you can. And he said, let me see, how many thousand feet do you go up in the air? I said, well, about 37, maybe. About 37,000. I said, yeah. He said, well, now listen, Nelson, I'm just going to tell you that if we get up there about 37,000 feet, right at that moment, I'm going to go on up. <laughs> and I'm going to go be with mom. <laughs> I laughed. We laughed. I said, <laughs> I said, Elmer, I know your heart. God bless you, brother. He loved him and mom, and he loves Jesus. I found it interesting, actually, this morning, when you talk about heaven, that in 1984, the board of directors, I'm just going to share this. The first article he wrote, he finished it like this. One thing about desire to the Lord, that will I seek after. You know where I'm going, don't you? Psalm 27.4. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, and to inquire in his holy temple. That has now become a reality. That was the desire. I just want to go be with Jesus and just live with him forevermore. That was a desire. These songs are beautiful songs that we were singing about meeting in heaven. The greatest concern this morning is, are you ready? Because there's going to be forever somewhere. My friend, it will be forever somewhere. Where will you 
be forever somewhere. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, the disciples. He told them he's going home. They didn't understand what was going on. So their hearts were troubled. He could tell. Tried to explain to them. But he said, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God. He said, you believe also in me because he said, in my father's house, he said, are many mansions. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you're going to also be. Now, friend, this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, those of us that know the Lord, think about it this morning that Jesus is preparing a place. He's getting a place ready for us to dwell in. I like we've never seen before. I know today we're going to hear about, I know that children or grandchildren are going to talk about Elmer and some of the vision, I'm sure, of, you know, <laughs> No more visiting heaven, <clears throat> hallelujah. I think John or somebody said, Dad, when you go, he'll come back this time. You don't have to stay. Go, Dad, yeah. I mean, but that's, <laughs> I love just, I just love to sit with him and say, Elmer, tell me again. Woo-hoo, I get holy goosebumps. And he would start talking about the angels. Oh, Nelson, Nelson. I mean, they were just going like this. They were small. Then further back, they were big and everything. I got so excited. I don't know if he knows or not, but that news is going all over, the, all over the world, not just in the U.S., but other countries where I've shared the story. I know a man <laughs> who was there and back. And here's at least a little glimpse of what it's going to be like. You know, that's why the verse that, that Glenn read, precious in the sight of the Lord. Why is it precious, John? Because Jesus, the, the, the climatic of Jesus, what he wants is, I just want you to come home and I want you to be with me. Precious. To us, it's grievous, and it hurts, and it's like, it's lost, you know. But he said, that's precious to me. I'm just waiting for you to come home, because I created you for heaven. Friend, hell was not created for you, and you were not created for hell. Can the church say amen? We were created for heaven. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, 9, the scripture says there, it's not the will of God that anybody perish, but that all come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants every person to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Jesus said, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place, I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you to take you where I am. Then Thomas, the one that was the doubter, the one that said uh, later, who, when the disciples gathered and Jesus had risen from the dead, this is the same Thomas, who was saying, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Tell us how to get there. It was later, Thomas was the one, after Jesus had risen and the disciples had seen Jesus, except Thomas, and he said, I won't believe that it's really him that has risen until I see the nail prints in his hand and where the spear went into his side. And then they went to Jesus and said, Thomas, uh, we'd like a meeting with you. And then he met, and then when he met him, he said, Thomas, he didn't scold him, or he just said, put your finger. Mm-hmm. And put your hand here. Okay. And then Thomas said, oh, my Lord, my God, you are the Christ. You know what Jesus said? You know what Jesus said to him. Thomas, you know the reason that you believe? Because you actually saw this with your eyes. But then Jesus said, blessed are those who have never seen. That's me. They've never seen me, but they're going to believe that I'm the Christ the Son of the living God.
I trust that's you today. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where they're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's only through Jesus Christ. There's no other avenue for us to come to Christ, to come to heaven, to come to Jesus. is through the cross of what Jesus Christ has done. Began John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Put your name in there. For God so loved Nelson, Dave, uh, uh, Glenn. John, Ray, whoever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, not go to hell, shall not face judgment of sin, but have everlasting life. You know, John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be what? Saved. So I want you to be saved from eternal damnation, from living a life of sin. I want to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I want to save you. I want to fill you with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus wants to do for each one of us. Are you prepared? You know, these last uh, years here and last couple of years, there have been so many, so many home goings and, and heartbreaks. And in our own church, probably in the past couple of years, been five, but close to my age. The latest about seven weeks ago. My dear prayer partner, for 20 years, 77 years old, been a prayer partner for 20-some years with me and accountability brother over in India on a mission trip. He had his home going. So unexpected. Then on and on, uh, the different ones. But you know what? One day the Bible said, it's point of man wants to die and after that's the judgment. We're all going to face. One day is going to be, is going to be our day to die. You know, an age is no respecter of person. See the young people here and the grandchildren. Homer huh. love you so much. When you go to the home, I'm going to Fairmont there, and big picture of the grands on the wall, and he would go up, and he would go on the wall, and he would, he would point you out. Now, that's so-and-so's son or daughter, and this is a so-and-so, and he'd point out. He'd say, there they are, and this is that. He was so proud. He was so thankful. Loved you so much. But when I think of youth, early this year, one night, maybe Sarah, I had gone to bed early, and she woke me and she said, Honey, come right outside. Alex Helmuth, 23 year old youth from our church. Our church is just next door to our house. He said he's laying on the ground out there. I think he, I think he died. Left the youth group on Monday night and drove just a little bit. And the motorbike, we don't know what happened. But I went out there and we stood there with the family. There lay the lifeless body. The spirit had departed. There lay the lifeless body of Alex and his motorbike somewhere there. We still don't know what happened. But he lay there. Remember the family there was grieving and the sister Cassandra, she was crying and she was hugging her brothers and, and uh, so forth. And then she said, oh, if he could just, if he just become alive. If he would just get up, Alex, about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away, his body lay there, a couple family members were there. She was saying, if he could just get up and like that, you know, and then all of a sudden I was, I was tuning in, he was right beside me, and all of a sudden she said, no, she said, wait a minute, we're going to see him again in heaven. He knew Jesus. We're going to see him again. And everything changed. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Would the family members say that about you? He knew, she knew Jesus Christ. We're going to meet again. I know that following Sunday morning, there was a heaviness in our church, funerals on Saturday. A lot of heaviness, and I have grandchildren very close to Alex. 
And my 20-year-old grandson was there at the altar with others, and they were crying just in brokenness. And I went up and put my arms around him. And when I got off his knees, we were crying together. And I said, Andrew, if that would have been you, would you be okay? Would you go be with Jesus? And he said, yes, Grandpa. Yes, Grandpa. There's just no greater joy than to know your children, grandchildren, to know they love Jesus Christ. They have a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where will you spend eternity? We go on down. I, I think of a, I think of a story this morning, and this this story was a story given. Uh, Billy Graham shared this. He told the story of Albert Einstein, the brilliant mind, and who uh, Einstein was once on a train traveling to Princeton. On a train, when the conductor came in down the aisle and he was punching tickets for every passenger, when he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his trouser pockets, and it wasn't there, and he looked in his briefcase. He couldn't find the ticket, and uh, he looked beside his seat. He still couldn't find The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are, and we all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Well, Einstein nodded appreciatively, and the conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets, and as he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around, and he saw the, this great mind, Einstein, back there, down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat for the ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. It's not a problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at this young man and said, young man, I, I also know who I am, but the problem is I don't know where I'm going. Now, having said this, Dr. Billy Graham went on to say, and he said, uh, you see the suit that I'm wearing? He was speaking at a luncheon when uh, Billy Graham, when he said this, he was speaking at a luncheon, and he said, my wife and my children were telling me I need a new suit, and uh, the fashion is getting different. So I went out and bought this suit for two occasions, this luncheon, and then the other occasion is this suit is what I'll be wearing when I'm buried, uh, when I die. And I don't want you, when you hear that I've died, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit that I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, but I also know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where you will go? There was an epitaph written on a tombstone out in, out in Indiana. <clears throat> and on that tombstone it said, As I am, so you too shall be, so make your plans to follow me. Well, somebody walking by that saw that, went and scratched something on the bottom. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. I want to know where you're going before I say yes. Do you know where you will spend eternity? Think about it today. I remember my, my Aunt Sarah Ann, <clears throat> 42 years old, my mom's youngest sister, 42 years old with eight children, dying of cancer. I remember visiting her, Sarah and I, visiting her at the hospital and Sarah Ann, there, we knew it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be very long, very aggressive, very aggressive cancer. And I remember kneeling down beside her because she couldn't speak loud. And then she said in, in German, she said, Can I really forgive us, Anne? Can I really forgive us, Anne? Can I really be forgiven? Now I knew there was a battle raging. The enemy was saying to her, You're not saved, you're not forgiven. Think about your life. In fact, the night before, she was asking her mother, who is my grandma, <laughs> Why would she ask that? Was I a good girl when I was little? Was I a good girl? Because the enemy was taking her back to her childhood and saying, Remember, Daryl? You were not good. There were things that weren't right. 
So you're not going to heaven. He was tempting her in her final, in her final stage. And so as I caught that and I said, saw she was struggling, I opened a little testament to 1 John 5, 13. And I began to read there. Where the Bible says, uh, for knowing this, I want you to know uh, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may... First, I asked her, I said, Sarah do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And I asked him question, and she was just whispering, yes, yes, yes. And as the Bible says there, that we can know that we have eternal life. If you believe in the name of the Son, you can know. Not hope so, maybe so, wish so, but you can know that you have eternal life. That's why we sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Do you know this morning that you have eternal life? Do you know? Not because of what you've done, but by what Jesus Christ has done. The blood he shed on the cross was not just to cover, the blood was to cleanse our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His precious blood there at the cross that he shed for you and for me. Think about it this morning. As I prayed with her, I could tell a peace came over her when she began to pray. And uh, a couple hours later, she went into a coma, and some hours later, she passed on into eternity. But the blessed comfort of knowing the peace. Yet peace in your heart. Where will you spend eternity? Think about that. Where? It means there's a destination. Will means it's a reality. You means it's personal. We were born individually. We come to Christ individually. We die individually. And individually, we face God. One of the most sobering things to me is that we will one day face God. Alone. Not as a group like this. We will individually face God. In fact, the Bible says there. Uh, in fact, let me go on there. Where will you spend? Meaning... Uh, it's a lifetime. Where will you spend? Where will you live where there's no death? Where will that be? And then eternity forever. Now that's hard for our minds to grasp. This is going to be forever in eternity. Where will that be? You know, the joy, the, the, the joy of Jesus, again, the, the, the joy of saints coming home to be with him. What says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10? Uh, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God uh, over one sinner that repents. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, where the disciples had gone out, I think at 70, the 70 had gone out and were doing all these different things. And uh, demons were subject to them. Then they came back and they were like, Jesus, all this was happening. And then Jesus was like, I'm paraphrasing. And he was like, wait a minute. I would rather, because they were so excited. And he said, I would rather you rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. I want you to rejoice over eternal things. Is your name written down in the book of life? And I want to ask you this morning. Is your name, you said, Nelson, when does your name, I believe the moment we become born again, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, our name is written down. That's why it says in Revelation 20, 15, for whoever, whosoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. A little bit later, before we close here, there's going to be an opportunity where you can pray to make sure that you know Jesus Christ. Whether it's young or old, it doesn't matter. Remember the elder lady, 84, I think it was in Pennsylvania, 10th Crusade, came forward from the wheelchair and like, what is this elderly lady coming forward to the altar? Remember going down to pray with her and she said, I'm just not sure. I just want that assurance in my heart that I know that Jesus Christ lives in me. I just want to make sure. Do you need to make sure today? None of us face death. We don't, you know, the process, we don't look forward to that. John, when you were there with, with Dad on Saturday night, Sunday morning, that was, that was painful. You know, 
to see our friends go through and, and suffer. The process is a painful thing oftentimes. But yet, we want to go to be with the Lord. But there's things to go through oftentimes to do that, unless it's the rapture, when he comes and we experience that in a moment of time that we're going to go to be with him. Is your name written in the book of life in heaven? You know, 54 million worldwide are said that die each year. And every day in America, 140,000 people, over 140,000. Think about it. Today, 140,000. Where will they spend eternity? Where will they go? Where will you go? And I mentioned that, that, you know, that we're going to, sometime we're going to be, we're going to be facing God. Um, I'll share, I want to share a little bit later. I'm going to, I'm going to, a little bit, I want to share a little bit. It's about Elmer and about our relationship. Then I want to come back and give an opportunity. Because some may be sitting here today and say, you know, I'm not really sure in my heart where I would go. That there is nothing more important in the world than to know. Remember Sarah and I visiting, visiting a dear sister that was with cancer. She's so in love with Jesus. I trust every one of us are here this morning. And I remember she said, before you leave, we're visiting her, and she's like, uh, don't pray for me when you leave. Don't pray for healing. Just pray that I can be set free to go to be with Jesus. And you're like, because, <laughs> you know, when you go, they want to pray for them and their health. He said, no, don't. Just pray that I can go be with Jesus. You walked away from there, and you were like, Lord, that's where I want to be. And she had sung a song, and her throat was so bad, and she said, I want to sing you a song. And the song was, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. We sat there in tears, and she's singing, <laughs> she's singing us this song. And I'm like, wow, to not be afraid, not be afraid to die. I trust that is, that is each one of us um, here today. Um, I just want to... Yeah, you know, throughout the scripture, the scripture is filled with glory stories of ordinary men and women who are made extraordinary by the grace of God. People who failed and sinned, but repented, God redeemed. And many of those you read in the Hall of Faith, they'd failed. But the lies are restored and redeemed. And I think it's fitting to give honor. And like that, Elmer, um, somebody, one of our directors at the office on Monday, Use this term. He said, Elmer's, foot, Elmer's uh, fingerprints are all over this ministry. In 1984, I did not know but one other person in Lancaster County. But St Chad Stahlsfus knew Elmer. I never knew him. He got a hold of Elmer to serve on our first board of directors at Gospel Express. And uh, Elmer's the one that God used not only to be our first chairman, but to head up our first benefit auctions, to be out there at the office, him and mom. I can picture mom as she would, <laughs> she would sit there at the desk and handwrite all our receipts because neither one of us knew anything about electronics, neither her or I. So she handwrote all these receipts that we send out to people. That's how we started. And dad, grandpa, he would sit there and he would watch and open the mail and go through things. It was over on top of see Mark Fisher here, but on top of, of um, his brothers, uh, on top of the, they're on 340, on top of the garage, that's where we were. It's kind of a primitive setting. And those are years 
that were so very special as God began to birth, a birth to the ministry. And uh, the first dinners, all that, he would make those arrangements. And I see Dan Esch sitting back here. Because the first functions were over at the Eshes. And Dan would arrange there, and that's where we had. And Elmer would be setting them up because he knew people. He had relationships, friendships, people that I didn't know. It was at the right time, at the right place, to the glory of God. The first tent revival on 340. Grandpa, Dad, is the one who made arrangements with Paul Martin to get the property. that We could be there. Do you see the fingerprints? <laughs> and what has happened since that time? The gifting of administration, organization, giving, but most of all, the genuine love for Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man shall, be, shall abound with blessing. Think of the things, you know, whether it's Black Bear, whether it's up at Penn Valley. And I know, <clears throat> I know last year, a year before, when he was talking about the book, <laughs> Sherry, um, and he was saying like, nah, I don't want this. You know, and I said, Elmer, if God can be glorified and if others can be encouraged, let God's will be done. If it's a glory story that brings honor to God, let it be done. Because he was so discouraged at the time. That was so tough. I remember one day when he was on the phone, I'd call him often, stop in whenever I could. He was just like, children know this. He'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. I'd say, no, you're not, Elmer. Because it was just so hard when COVID hit. It was so hard. I'm just going to die. No hope. I said, no. Elmer, please. And we'd share together. It's hard on the children. So hard. It was heartbreaking. And you couldn't go. Watch those things Eddie would go through. You children, grandchildren, you have a tremendous godly heritage. Because I see those giftings, character qualities and things that are passed on in the legacy. I see it very clearly. To the glory of God. I just want to encourage. Yes. To encourage you. Um, in that. And for the. The family also. You know. Um, I just want to bless. I want to bless the children. For the way you took care of dad. When he came out. I don't know whether it was the dinner dinners or the way you fed, the way you took care of him. I would sit there with him sometimes and he'd say, this afternoon I'm going get to get to go down to the warehouse. <laughs> Sherry's down there, we're going to be doing this. And it was huge. It was huge. I'm still valuable. I can still do something. That was big. Thank you for making a way. It's more important than what you think when that happened. And just the way that you blessed, the way that you took care. And then he would, often he would talk. Um, as we would pray together. Then over at Lincoln, uh, at Lincoln home, take my guitar in there and we would sing and make time together. One of the staff 
said to me some months ago, she said, I can tell that Elmer is used to praying. You know, our public life is a reflection of our private life with God. He loves to pray. And I always pray for him. And Kate, one day, she said, Nelson, have Dad pray for you. <laughs> so I asked him to pray for me. I was so blessed as he prayed. He prayed such a prayer over me. We would pray together. Every time you would pray with Dad, with Elmer, every time you would pray, he'd be talking to Jesus. You know what I mean? He'd be talking to Jesus as you pray. I was on the phone. I'd be praying for him. And he's just talking to Jesus. I said, Lord, yes, Lord Jesus, you know. That was Jesus in him coming out. <laughs> Hallelujah. He loved, he loved, he loved to pray. And the caretakers, when I was over there a week ago Friday, was my last meal that I got to sit down with Elmer and eat together at the table with the residents. And uh, we sat, we shared together. And I watched those residents and just the tender, loving care. And I'm going to say to caretakers here today, maybe nobody here from Fairmont or Lincoln or wherever, but the way they take care of people, the gentleness, the kindness. Elmer would talk about you, Naomi. The way you cared for Mervyn. It was so huge. So huge. He saw those things. Jonas. Jonas Kaufman is a godsend. As he'd sit there with Dad, with Elmer, hour upon hour, pray together, have Bible reading together. God bless you, Jonas. You married sisters, and that really ministered to my heart to see the, what you did. Your rewards are huge in heaven, Jonas. It won't be the same, but I pray you will find others that God will lead you to, to bless and to encourage. God bless you, Jonas. I'm going to stop there with that. I, you know, uh, the North Carolina State basketball coach, Jimmy V, Jimmy Volvano, who started Jimmy V Foundation Cancer. He's going to be with the Lord, but he said, My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could ever give another person. He said, My father believed in me. He believed, Dad believed in you children, your grandchildren. The greatest gift another person could ever give is they believed in me. Grandpa believed in you. He would say it. He believed in you. I want to go back and... Uh, I want to come to a close. The great D.L. Moody was preaching the great in Chicago. Would preach there in the afternoons over and over again. But one, one day, D.L. Moody decided that he's not going to give an invitation. He's going to let the people go home and think about what he preached about. Well, that night was the great Chicago fire. And many of the people that were there at his meeting perished that evening through the great Chicago fire. D.L., the next day, said to the people, I will never again 
preach the plan of salvation without an invitation. I will never again do that. And has been said, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Because with the heart we believe, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What about you here today? Do you know that Jesus Christ lives in your heart today? You're born again. You don't have a doubt of where you would spend eternity because one day it will be like this. Where will we spend eternity? Forever and forever. There's nothing more important in all of life than to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life for you and for me. Could we bow our heads together? Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would just draw all of us to your bosom. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. Help us to understand, Lord, that we will live forever somewhere. And Lord Jesus, I pray that right now, Lord, that young, middle-aged, older, grandma, grandpa, widow, widower, Lord, whoever today, that maybe you're sitting here and saying, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I would like to know where I'm going to go. Then, Lord Jesus, you said that we can know that we have eternal life if we believe upon the name of the Son of God. Lord, that is you, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray right now for those that want to pray that they would open their mouth right where they're sitting and they would pray, Jesus. They would pray to you, Jesus. Maybe on this December 1st, Thursday, 2022, this was the day appointed for them to come to you, Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that they would take time right now from their heart to just pray, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, that you died for me, that you shed your blood for my sins, and that you rose again from the grave. Jesus, I believe you are in heaven right now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, come into my heart. Save me. Cleanse me with your blood. Fill me with your spirit, Jesus. That one day I can come to be with you in heaven. And Lord, I give you the glory and the praise. In the name of Jesus, thank you for salvation in my heart. Lord, I pray that those that are praying, that you would just bless them with a special assurance in their heart, God, that they would know that you live within, would you give them that assurance and increase their faith in you, Jesus Christ, that you may be glorified through it all. And we give you all the praise and the honor in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said amen.
and amen. And I want to In a little bit out here, it's going to be burial. At 11 years old, a first funeral, a little Amish boy. And when they began to put dirt on my grandpa, it made me angry because I did not understand that that was the body, but the spirit had departed. So about 4 o'clock on Sunday morning, whatever time that was, Drew the last breath, Elmer's spirit, angels escorted his spirit, to my understanding, took him to heaven. The body is lifeless. It's a body, but it's lifeless. The spirit is no more there. And I didn't understand that. So I'm, it would make me angry. Why are they doing this? But one day, the Bible says that spirit and the body are going to be reunited. That's why Jesus from the cross said, into your, into your hands, Father, I give my spirit to, the, to God. Three days later, and then he became lifeless. They buried him. Three days later, spirit was put back in Jesus, and he walked out of the tomb and then went to heaven. That's what's going to happen when the trump of God is going to sound, and the spirit will be put back, but it's going to be a brand new body made for heaven at that time. I must want to share that to encourage the children, grandchildren, that when we see this, to understand the real Elmer, the real grandpa, dad, has already gone. This is the shell, but the spirit that was inside of him has departed. Hallelujah. Could we just sing that? Um, there is coming a day when no sorrow to come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears.
Thank you, Brother Nelson, for sharing. I'd, I'd like to repeat one thing that he mentioned, and that is um, to you children, did an amazing job of, of caring for uh, your parents um, with some obstacles and hurdles and difficulties. Uh, never question for a moment. Uh, you, did, um, you did well. You did very well, and thank you. Um, at this time, I'm going to turn the time over to uh, John, and he's going to share some memories, um, and some of the family will be joining him. And then when he's finished, um, Perry Beachy, uh, who served with Elmer Nana at Penn Valley, will read the obituary. Uh, Brother John. I think Dad would be honored with Pastor sharing with his heart and passion. More than anything else, this was what was most important to him, that we would understand the plan of salvation. It's his biggest concern the next generations, for us as kids, that we would understand the plan of salvation, that we would accept and acknowledge and receive that plan, walk it out. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So I'm going to open it up a little bit here. A couple of you guys want to share a couple memories? You may come up one at a time. I'm not sure if I can do this, but I know Dad would be honored. Brought my son up for some moral support. <laughs> and Nelson, I could just I could just picture Dad up there mm -hmm. saying, "Preach it, Brother Nelson." <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. As I was trying to think of a word that just encompasses everything about my dad. The one that kept coming back to me was a lover, just a lover of God. He loved his Lord with such a fire and passion that it burned so deep into his soul and literally affected every aspect of his life. It was his desire and his goal to share that love of Jesus with as many people as possible, and he wanted no one to perish, like John said, especially, I shouldn't say especially because he included everybody, but his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you all in heaven with me, yes. every single one of you. His relationship with the Lord was a daily thing. It was a constant thing. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And you knew it by his life. He loved to worship God, and he did so freely with his amens and raising his hands. Especially, I can just picture him at Gospel Express events, the singings, just 
raising his hands. And a prayer warrior, like Nelson shared, that man was a prayer warrior. He prayed for us kids. I remember being in Florida with him and mom different times, and I could hear them praying their bedtime prayers at nighttime. He would list all, he'd go down the list with all the children and grandchildren as long as he could remember their names, but he would pray for us. And a very interesting thing at Lincoln, after he started with dementia and on days that he was really confused, up to that time he would, before that he would do some, uh, they would ask him to lead prayer at mealtime. Mm -hmm. uh, but there came a time when he was just too confused, it seemed to do it, and I said to the one nurse, I said, ask him again sometime. I just wanted to see how he would respond. Took him out to the table, sat him down, sat beside him, and it was Joy said, Elmer, would you like to ask the blessing today? Up to that point, he had been totally confused. He looked up at her, he said, yeah. That man prayed a powerful prayer. Wow. Didn't repeat himself, prayed for the workers, for their families, for us kids, for mm -hmm. everybody. Said amen, kind of sat back in his chair, looked over at me. Of course, he said it in Dutch. Did I do good? I said, yep, Pop. And two seconds later, he was as confused as confused. So that prayer language with his father was still there. That just blessed me. He was a lover of mom. He might have been an outgoing, fun-loving, jolly, talkative man, but he loved our mom with a gentleness and a tenderness that took your breath away. And she absolutely adored him. She just, she didn't say much, but she loved that man. She would have followed him anywhere, even though she did admit to me in later years, she would have rather just stayed at home. <laughs> but they made a, perf a perfect team. He loved that sweet, quiet lady with every fiber of his body from the first time he laid eyes on her at a corner ball game at a farm auction. And he will through all eternity. He treated her like his bride and wasn't ashamed to show it. Called her my honey and often held her hand, especially those last few years as she became more confused. In fact, at Fairmount, and the nurses said this is probably the first time that ever happened to a couple. He pushed their single beds tight against each other. And every night, he would reach his hand over, held hers, or had his hand on her chest to make sure she was still breathing. So 70 years together, and their love deepened each year. He even came back from heaven to be with her. When I asked him why he returned, he said, again in Dutch, I told mom I'd stay till she was gone. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's too many of us that can say that. And when, he, when she left, his heart and fight for life went with her. All he wanted was to be by her side. He loved his children, and 
I like what you said, Nelson. He believed in us, and we felt it. He wasn't one that would be all huggy and telling us he loved us, but we knew it. We knew it. He led by example. He showed it by acceptance and affirmation, taking care of us, and the way he took care and helped Naomi and the boys with Merv. Him and Mom. <laughs> and he loved to have fun. I think all the grandkids could say that. All the special memories of his shenanigans and his jokes, his hearty laughter and twinkle in his eye. And I think all of you guys, especially you older ones, remember pushing in his belly and his false teeth would pop out. <laughs> yeah. They had great memories of him in Florida, the Penn Valley, and he became Dottie then to the next generation, to our grandchildren, loved them just as much. He was a lover of people. Oh my, I can't help but wonder how many people's lives he affected. He loved people. There was no doubt about it, and they were touched by that. We say he never met a stranger, because once he met you, you were his friend. He was the epitome of a people person. He loved Penn Valley. I don't know how many are here from Penn Valley, but he absolutely loved you guys. And I can still see him sitting on his driveway there in Florida, out in the cement driveway, on his chair, most of the time surrounded by people, talking. And let me tell you, if there wasn't anybody sitting there, the next time a person walked or biked by, he'd yell out, hey, come on right, you'll schwätze mit dir. Come on in, I want to talk. He, he knew everybody, and he wanted to talk. That was who he was. And doing all those things came from his desire to be not only with people, but to share his love of Jesus with them. He loved his church, the people in it. Thank you, thank you for taking such good care of our parents and for loving them so well. He was a lover of work. As long as I can remember, that man worked hard. I mean, he worked hard. Of course, he got it from my grandfather, Roy Chan, for those of you that would have known him, but they were hard workers all through the years, many adventures and endeavors. He would try his hand at anything, especially flipping houses, which he did into his 80s. And different times us kids would come across something probably not done as professionally or as well done as it should have been, and well, we kind of gave it a name now, we call it Elmer Rigged. <laughs> he was so good at making something out of trash, and he loved doing it. That man couldn't sit still. He never did, He could, and he couldn't even at the home. I tried so hard to get him involved in puzzles, in reading, looking at magazines. He would just look at me and say, Schwetznet Saddam, don't talk Saddam. <laughs> It's not what he was going to do. <laughs> Only time he was happy was talking to people and sharing, especially after he went to heaven, sharing his story. He would, after he came back and mom died, say, why am I still here? I said, Dad, you need to share that story. And I am just, we need to write a book sometime about the people's lives that have been touched by that story. I could just share so many. And Nelson said this, but... Praise God for Uncle Jonas. Thank you, thank you for loving our dad so well. <laughs>
That's what gave me peace on the days that I couldn't be there. I knew you were there. <laughs> Pop, thanks for loving on all of us. You didn't have to tell us, you showed us. Thanks for loving on our precious mom, showing us what a godly marriage is. Thanks for caring for her so well. We can only rejoice that you are with your honey forever. You loved us so deeply by leaving such a treasured, amazing legacy and passed on that mantle to us, which we so humbly and proudly accept with honor and respect. We will continue to build on that and pass it on to our children and our grandchildren and share your stories, especially of the one of heaven, knowing it's your desire to meet us all there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. Dad, you have now entered into the joy of the Lord. You have fought the good fight. You finished the course, and boy, did you keep the faith. And now you finally received your crown of righteousness. Thank you. Anybody else? Good morning. As uh, he can't mentioned, um, yeah, Grandpa fought the good fight and he finished the race. Uh, what an amazing man. What an amazing legacy. Uh, as Nelson mentioned, it is so evident in his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. Um, <clears throat> the thing I think of the most, there's so many, so many fun stories and <clears throat> memories to cherish. I know the grandkids remember Grandpa's cookie stash and so many memories at uh, Penn Valley and Pinecraft and just his smile, as you can see in this picture, just from beaming from ear to ear was always so evident in Grandpa and just a fun-loving and silly and goofy guy is one thing I'll always cherish and remember about him. And Kate mentioned the uh, <clears throat> pushing his belly button and his false teeth falling out. It's just something I will remember forever. We were in Penn Valley. We were driving on one of the dirt roads at the bottom of the hill, and it was a couple of his grandkids in the back of a van. I, don't, I can't remember who it was. I think Robbie was in there. And Grandpa was following close behind in his pickup truck, and he uh, had his teeth fall out as he's driving. And us grandkids are just losing it, just laughing our, <laughs> laughing our butts off. But yeah, such a great man and such a great legacy that he lives of loving God and loving others, which he did so well. That's right. And uh, we just love you, Grandpa. Say who these guys are. This is Randy, Katie uh, Boyzooks. That was Stevie, Sue, and Sam's son. So, uh, as the, I was the oldest grandchild, I got to spend a lot of time with Grandma and Grandpa uh, when I was a child um, in one of their, I don't know, 25, 30 houses that they, they tended to, to be at. But um, one thing that I always treasure is, is I got to, I would often go with up there and spend the night, and then I go with them to market, whether it's Downingtown or, or Newcastle. Um, and one of those times, and, and this is the, the fingerprint thing that, that you talked about, Nelson, um, the, the 19, I'm assuming it was going to be the 1984 tent revival. I was, I was at Grandpa's, and they took me to the tent revival, and that's when I accepted Christ. So that is just, it's amazing to have you mention that, and 
just talk about Grandpa's fingerprint on our lives, and I think you can see that here with, with all of us that are here. So I really have always appreciated that, and it's a very special memory that I have. So. Josh Flix, my son. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot I could say about Grandpa. Um, one thing that sticks out to me is he was a man of vision. He always had ambitious dreams, and he didn't let his age slow him down. A uh, more recent dream that he had, this was in his upper 80s, he was going to start a bike shop in Intercourse. He was going to buy old bikes and fix them up and sell them there. So... Uh, at that time, he was going to Roots on Tuesdays and to our furniture stand there, and right across from the stand there was an auction, and they sold everything, anything there, including used bikes. So Grandpa would be there working the store, helping customers, but he had his auction number sticking in his pocket, and so in between customers, he'd stick his head out the door and he'd be buying these bikes. So um, most Tuesdays, he'd come home with a bike or two and other random gems that he found that he thought he could resell. <laughs> So I'll always remember that about Grandpa. He had a drive and a vision for what was next, even in his last years. Another memory I have, um, this was like five or six years ago. I was talking with Grandpa, and I don't know why, but I asked him, what would you do differently if you were 21 again? Uh, he looked at me uh, with a grin. And he said, I would shake the world. Um, I wish I would have said it then, but just, you know, all of us here, Grandpa impacted in one way or another. And not just us, but all the people he came in contact with, with all of his different business ventures throughout the years, um, the lives he affected with his work at Penn Valley and Gospel Express, um, all his, the friends he made down in Pinecraft, and then just the godly example he's been to us grandkids and great-grandkids, um, and just the amazing way that he showed us how to love your spouse selflessly. Um, so, Grandpa, you really did shake the world. And I hope that I can leave a legacy like you've left. Ricky Glick, Mervyn Yummy's son. I'm just pretty much going to read what I wrote because I'm not much of a public speaker. So, yeah, thank you all for coming and honoring Elmer and coming out for this. Um, I'd like to take, actually, the first uh, second here to thank the Petersheim family, actually, and uh, how great you guys have been over the past few years <clears throat> with Grandma and then with Grandpa as well, so thank you guys. Let's see if I can get through this. Um, these past few years have been tough for our family. Um, he keeps calling home all of my favorite people. Started with Grandma, Grandpa's lifelong soulmate and love of his life, that uh, was tough for Grandpa and tough for all of us, and yeah. And then last year, he took my dad as well, and now Grandpa. So it's been a rough couple years, but as we know, they're all going to be reunited. They are reunited in heaven now, and it's a, it's a blessing that they all are able to be together again in heaven. And I was trying to think last night, as I wrote this, how to put into words what Grandpa meant to me and who he was to me. And... Yeah, it's tough to put into words the kind of feeling that somebody like that gives you and how big of a person he is to you. And whether you were just hanging out with him, having dinner with him and Grandma, or out working on one of his projects and helping him with those, he was always the kind of person that made me feel at home, made me feel happy, and made me feel loved no matter what we were doing. He was just 
always there and always a blessing to us, us kids and us grandkids. It was, it was great. And that was one of his best gifts, I think, was able to make anybody feel like that. He would connect with anybody. Pretty much anybody he saw, he made them feel seen, heard, and loved. And that was one of his big blessings and one of the great things he did in life was just connect with anybody and everybody he could and bless them. But at the same time, he always had a, a glint of mischief in his eyes. He always knew he was, he always knew looking at him that he was looking for some way to have fun, to tease you a little, or just to, just to pull a prank. And I'll tell you a quick story here about the prank that he pulled on me when I was 13. We were moving to Virginia. We bought a farm down there. It's about 400 acres of trees and fields, and we had tractors and fields and that was one of Grandpa's favorite things down there, was just driving the tractors and working on the house and working on the fields. Anyways, I went down there to help get the farm together um, right before we moved. And I was really excited because when we just bought a four-wheeler, so first thing I did when I got down there was run the four-wheeler, hopped onto it, and started it up. And I, I felt something then in between my legs, and I looked down and touched it, and it's just black long thing. I grab it and I pick it up a little and it's this giant black snake <laughs> and I threw it off and I freak out and run around and start yelling of course and it turns out grandpa had found it earlier in the day, killed it and thought that the best use of this snake would be to put it on the four-wheeler and scare the next person that sat on it which, which was me and he couldn't have been happier and he had a <laughs> laughed and had a grin on his, on his face the rest of the day. But that, that was just Grandpa. He just always was looking for something fun to do, somehow to make, make it fun. And it was awesome. He was also a man of principles and of standards, though, too. He wanted his grandkids to be as like him, to be followers of the Lord and also to, to look like followers of the Lord, too. He always give me uh, crap about my hair and my beard to keep it trimmed, to keep it short. And, but I loved every second of it because it mean, he cared about what we were doing, what we looked like, and how we were living our lives. Mm -hmm. I have one example here. My brother Eric had gotten his ear pierced, I think probably in his late teens or something like that. And Grandpa saw it one day and apparently did not like it at all. So a couple weeks later, Eric received a letter from him and Grandma, signed from him and Grandma, asking him to take the earring out and it included $100 as well. <laughs> He's like, take the earring out and please do that. You're my grandkid. We don't like that. So Eric did it without complaint. And yeah, that was just something that we did. And if Grandpa asked us to do something, we're going to do it. The idea of disappointing Grandpa was just not something we could do. He was, he was our bigger-than-life Grandpa, and we loved him. And give you another quick example here. My brother Michael was supposed to be here today. He was flying from Seattle. I was supposed to pick him up today at 6 o'clock, but his flight got delayed. Couldn't make it. So very sad. He's very disappointed. But he told me that he trimmed his beard and his hair before he came because that was something that Grandpa wanted him to do. So our Grandpa left behind a legacy of loving your family of connecting and inspiring everyone you come in contact with, of loving the Lord and living a godly life, of hard work and getting things done, and of enjoying every last minute of it all, and finding fun and joy in the small and big moments of life. He was a great man and a great example in how to live a love, a full and great life, and he will be dearly missed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I think... Um, Hopefully we still have a minute or two. Uh, yeah, I just want to share. I just want to quickly share a word yet. Um, it's just 
thinking out of everything I know about my dad, what, what do you want me to share? And I think a lot of us probably don't know the story back, going back 55 years ago when I was about 17, 18. We were just young whippersnappers. Um, dad was into all kinds, of this, all kinds of things. He had dreams. We had, he had two farms down there. We were, he was starting to make sheds. We were selling truck caps and campers. And he had a dry goods store. And he just had all this stuff going for him. But all at once, our life drastically changed. Um, his, his, he became very sick, like deathly sick. And the doctors, he was at the hospital, and the doctors sent him home, and they said, enjoy your dad, that your dad probably won't be here very long. Um, he, he had most of his stomach taken out. He had cancer in his stomach, and they took out the tumors and so forth, and they sent him home. They told mom and us, said, enjoy your father. Probably by the year's end, he'll be gone. This was 55 years ago. Um, so... The next couple of months, Dad being home, we got a hospital bed there for him. We really didn't expect him to make it outside of a miracle. Um, but God, a lot of you, he, he didn't like to share this story because uh, he had a divine encounter over that time. And when he started sharing some of it, he, different people would say, well, what for pills were you on or what were you taking? Uh, so, but I believe he would want me to share this. He shared it with very few people, but we as a family knew that something drastically happened that turned our life around. So dad was very sick. Night after night, he would be in bed there, and this went on for months. He was slowly declining in health. He used to be like 250, 275. He was now down to 120 and, and still losing, and this went on for a couple months. Um, and dad's, dad's had a desperate cry to the Lord. He said, God... I have a young family. I have these things, these businesses. I have these dreams. How can you let me die at this age, 45-something years old? How can you let me die at this age? And so night after night, my father would cry out to his heavenly father, asking for a, for a touch from him. Um, in the dark of night, I would usually come out of my room and go over to him to make sure he's still breathing. He didn't know I was there, but he was there most nights not sleeping, but just had his hand stretched out to the heavens, asking the Heavenly Father to do a touch. Um, he knew the Bible, and he knew where the lady, where she went out after the Father, where, where Jesus was doing miracles, and she said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And Father, my dad knew that story, and he said, if I can just get a hold of his garment, I'm going to be healed. So he just put up a fight. Um, Dad always was a fighter, but he really put up a fight for this one. So this went on uh, towards, towards the end of that year. And one night, in the dark of night, um, well, be, let me say this before this. He, he, he just emptied his soul to the Father, and he said, Lord, I'll do anything if you but touch me. I'll go to Africa. <laughs> Nelson, I guess you weren't in Africa then yet, but I'll go anywhere I'll do anything. I'll sell everything I have if you but touch me and heal my body. Um, so that was his cry. He just came to a point where he totally surrendered himself. He surrendered everything, all his ambitions and dreams and goals and passions, and said, Lord, I give it all to you. Just touch me so I can stay here with my family and raise my family and follow your heart and follow your calling. It'll no longer be Omar Glick's calling or passions. It'll be your Heavenly Father's passions that'll drive me to, the new, to my new calling. 
So that was his confession, that was his heart, that was his cry. And sure enough, this went on for a couple months, but one dark night, Dad was awake. He was sitting up in his hospital bed, and he did have a divine encounter. The presence of the Lord came into his room. A spotlight came onto his wall, and it was very bright. And he pinched himself, and he said, or he was talking to himself, is this for real? Is this for real? Am I, is, is the Lord visiting me? And soon enough, the scripture from Psalms 103, verse 3, started appearing on the wall. And it just went verse by, or word by word. And the words were, he healeth all thy diseases. And then, it, and then the scripture was right below. Psalms 103, verse 3. And the spotlight was very bright, and he had a deep peace. It was very peaceful. And he just looked at that, and he kept pinching himself. This is for real. And then slowly, it started fading away, and it got pitch dark again in his room. But something changed after that. Something changed. He had to have time to process that the next couple of days. But we knew, our family knew that something had happened to our dad. He was no longer the same. It was no longer a cry of desperation, please heal me. But it started to be a confession of thank you, Lord, for your healing. Thank you, Lord, for your healing. This went on for months into the next year. He still wasn't healed, but he was starting, starting to gradually receive the healing. And from then on, his mission, his confession was, Lord, what is your dream? What is your passion? What is your goals for my life? Let me line it up with your goals, with your dreams. And out of that, I believe the Lord birthed a a hunger, a thirst to follow the heart of God in a new way. Not that it was all wrong before, but he put, I think he started putting his heavenly fathers, his boss now, and he was only the manager. I think it was maybe the other way around where he was the boss, so to speak, uh, calling the shots. But this was now, Lord, what is your passion? What is your will going forward from here? I yield to that calling. I yield to that, that direction. And after that, he soon started getting involved with Gospel Express here in Nelson. And then after that, Penn Valley opened up. He had a dream to help people. Um, so, and I think the heart of my dad this morning is, and, you know, Pastor Nelson's already touched on that, just yielding our, our lives, our, our, our passions, our dreams, our our goals. What is your heart, Father? What is your calling for my life? Is it, is it John Glick pursuing the calling, or is it your calling and I follow you? And together as a team, we, we conquer, we accomplish, we pursue your purpose. Um, thank you. So on behalf of the Glick family, we say thank you to this church. You guys have been such a blessing. Um, last night they provided food. Today they're providing food. Thank you, thank you. Mom and Dad always really appreciated this church. Mm-hmm. Been such a blessing to them. Um, and thanks to each one of you for coming and blessing us as a family over the, the last weeks, months. You know, um, this last couple of days, this last week with Pop, um, he, he's already talked that he's had like eight, nine lives. Uh, and you know his heavenly encounter. We, we, you know, most of you heard about that. Um, 
So we were saying, when here you touched on that about dad not coming back. Now this time, don't come back. But he didn't really want to come back this time. Mm -hmm. The last time he really wanted to come back to honor his wife, my mother. That was his passion. Um, but as far as the scripture reading, showing up on his bedroom wall, you know, that scripture was in the Bible the whole time. It just, the Lord took that scripture out of that out of the Bible and just planted it on the wall. So there was nothing really new outside of the fact that it was on the wall. That's when dad took ownership to that verse. So the scripture is available for us to take ownership to it. We don't have to wait for the Lord to put it on the wall for us. Dad could have took ownership to that. Um, so, and I think dad just, I've just felt dad wanted me to, share that with you guys that um, didn't know that part of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. I've been blessed and encouraged being here today. I just want to thank the family, children and grandchildren for sharing your hearts. It's been a blessing to all of us to hear those stories and to hear what your father and your grandfather has meant to you. My wife and I had the privilege of serving uh, with Elmer and Anna at uh, Penn Valley. And uh, I think everyone who served there would say with me that Elmer became our father or grandfather. Um, he had a way of leading, not as a boss, not as an administrator, but as a dad. And uh, he had uh, lots of encouragement and advice for us, lots of counseling when we needed it, and figuratively spanked us when we needed that too. Um, Elmer has impacted my life in a very tremendous way, and I'm grateful for that. One of the things that I remember of Elmer, and probably always will, is that uh, twinkle in his eye and that kind of half squint as he's laughing and poking fun at something or ribbing you about something. He had a way of doing that that uh, just endeared you to him, I think. So I am grateful for the example that Elmer has been to me, to my wife, to my family, and uh, to many of us here as well. So now if you would please give your attention to the reading of the obituary. Elmer S. Glick, age 93, formerly of Gordonville, passed away on Sunday, November 27, 2022, at Lincoln Christian Home, Ephrata. He was the husband of the late Anna M. Byler Glick, who passed away on July 25, 2020. Born in Gap, he is, was the son of the late John and Katie Smoker Glick, Elmer was a member of Weavertown Amish Mennonite Church, Burdenhand. Elmer and Anna loved to serve and enjoyed their years with Penn Valley Christian Retreat, Gospel Express Ministry, and spending winters in Pinecraft, Florida. He was an entrepreneur and a man with a big heart and dreams. Elmer was instrumental in the start of Black Bear Structures, and he enjoyed working alongside his two sons at Peaceful Valley Furniture. Surviving are four children, Kate, wife of Roy Zook, 
of Gordonville, John, husband of Lois Miller Glick of Gordonville, Sue Glick of Willow Street, Ray Glick of Bronx, 16 grandchildren, and 21 great-grandchildren. Also surviving is a dear family friend, Edna Petersheim of Gordonville. He was preceded in death by his son, Mervyn, husband of Naomi Fisher Glick of Paradise. Three siblings, Aaron and Samuel Glick and Barbara Stalsfus. God bless all of you. <laughs>